Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today Helen and I are joined by Olga Nichieva who comes from No White Walls. And Olga is a self-described woman from Mars, <laughs> which if you've read the book Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, then it'll all make sense to you. I guess this also helps to explain in some part why Olga is a prop tech entrepreneur and founder. Although she's also, uh, sorry, rather, she also has an established portfolio of co-living style properties, which was fascinating to hear about. And she gives some really honest answers in our discussion, and you can actually hear some soul searching going on, I think, uh, especially around balancing business with home life. So let's have a listen to our conversation right now then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Well, here we are again. It's another episode in uh, Women in Property series on the Property Voice podcast. And joining myself and Helen on the call today, we have Olga Nichieva from No White Walls. Olga, hi. How are you doing today? Are you okay? Hi, Richard. I'm very good. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for having me here. You're more than welcome. And of course, we've got Helen here as well, and she was going to jump in. I'm sure if I managed to <laughs> shut up at all during the conversation. But uh, <laughs> Olga, what we normally do at this point in the conversation is uh, is just talk a little bit about the, our guest and the, the backstory, if you like, and the background, you know, building up to, to where they are today and some of the influences, I guess that um, have, have led to that point. Would, would you mind just sort of taking us through that background now? But okay. Yes, of course. Uh, well, I've been in the UK for 12 years now and um, last 20 years, I would say, um, I spent in a corporate environment in media um, doing all sorts of stuff, global licensing, customer partnerships, business development. It's all business development roles. Part of that life uh, was actually very entrepreneurial. So I headed emerging markets and I traveled all over the world and managed up to 67 countries at one point. Uh, a lot of them very new where you set up business from scratch. And one thing which struck me as I sort of grew through the corporate ladder is that the higher up you go and um, being on sort of top management positions, the less touch you actually have with the day-to-day -day business. And I realized at some point that I actually really missed that and enjoyed that. And I did not enjoy sitting in a boardrooms um, and doing, you know, quarterly presentations. Um, so I started looking for an alternative and um, did some analysis. Um, I pretty systematic in the way I handled things. So I kind of looked at things I like doing outside of my job. Um, there were quite a few. Um, looked at the cash flow, that type of business, and the things were like having your own restaurant or ru running your own consultancy. And property was one of those things. I've actually done some property flipping as a pretty young um, sort of uh, entrepreneur back in Moscow, um, and I made my first money on that. 
So I like property as well. And I looked into different models uh, of businesses and the cash flow coming from them and how that fit, fits my lifestyle. And I ended up being on the property side. I also understood that I don't really know the UK property market and it is quite different. Um, so I went on learning, did my bit of research and learning and went to courses and read books. And then I kept analyzing and I analyzed that, um, realized that um, I'm going into lettings and renting rather than, um, let's say, development um, and flipping or anything like that. And uh, within that, the model of HMO, houses of multiple occupancy, seemed to be the most um, interesting. So I went on and I joined Platinum Property Partners, which is quite a you know, well-known organization who helps landlords to build their capabilities. Uh, I learned all what I could and I started building a property business, which became a first business. Uh, which went quite well. But as I did that, I think I can't really hold myself from constantly, constantly trying, looking for gaps in the market, looking for opportunities. I reckon um, sort of my business development roles happened um, not as a coincidence. Um, and I naturally lean towards just seeing new opportunities and um, going for them. Um, that what excites me a lot. So I was doing an HMO and I thought, could I do an HMO with a twist? Can I really like look at this as a lifestyle? And it was before things like the collective emerged and things like mm. the US startups um, and we leave and the node and all of them emerged. So I, I would say it was about five years ago. And, um, you know, I just kind of in my mind, I built this different level of HMOs, which is more of a co-living. Um, I don't think this word was actually trending at the time. Um, but I still did it um, and I priced my properties well above the market and I was successful and happy and they were occupied and, you know, my tenants enjoyed that and we trialed different community things. And as we went along, um, you know, as the, my portfolio grew, I've been able to um, sort of um, quit my corporate job, which was great um, as a move and I really enjoyed uh, leaving it behind um, and I also needed to outsource um, and bring more systems bring more processes um, just systemize everything and I struggled with trying to stitch together different existing technologies and services and platforms and software systems available on the market and it, half of them were not even suitable for an HMO model half of them were hardly suitable with adaptation it was tough um, it was tough to find a local manager um, I think I've gone through three four people before I actually um, landed with um, the one I'm working still with right now in any case I kind of you know I saw the further opportunity that uh, there are landlords like myself and there are local letting managers like my manager um barrett lettings is the company i'm using who are excellent and they really see the um hmo not as a just a cheap way of leaving um but something um you could give lifestyle um spe something special to your tenants and they really manage it well and they try to put it on the next level of service and quality so i thought yeah, there is a market gap here in terms of servicing and creating a platform for that. So um, there you go with no white walls. That's what we do. Well, that's, um, that's, there's so much in there. Thank you for sharing that, Olga. I really appreciate it. Um, inevitably, I made some notes there. <laughs> um, maybe starting at the end, the co-living space. Uh, that, that really piqued my interest 
frankly, when I uh, had the opportunity perhaps to invite you onto the show to talk to you uh, or for us to talk to you. And um, could you just elaborate a little bit on this whole co-living piece? I mean, I've just written a, a magazine article for YPN and um, mm. I'm, I'm really, that, that's the theme in a way. I'm talking about HMOs, you know, you know, and how they came to be HMOs and where they're heading and the co-living yeah. element is there. But I'd really, get, I'd really like to get your take on that and what co-living really means. Yeah, I think if we're setting aside um, sort of communal living, which is almost like a little bit of a separate trend with families live together as a commune, um, that is uh, quite niche um, and happens in some of the um, European countries. Um, co-living in a wider sense, for me, it's, it's a product of our age and there are a few big trends which led to that. And if you put together a few things happening, A, um, obviously there's a shortage of housing. There's a shortage of housing to buy for young people. So they have to rent. Job mobility has grown three, four fold in the last decade. I think 75% of employers right now expect people to move for the job. So you become very, flexible, uh, very mobile um, as a young person who's just graduated. And um, as you move, all the hassle of renting your own space, it's it's a cost issue and it's a, you know, also hassle issues, setting up your own utilities, paying your own consult tax, all of that, uh, it takes time. So people move a lot, they move for short-term contracts. More and more people go into freelance or contracting, um, you know, 20 year careers sort of stop existing. and. All of that happening together at the same time if you look at the cultural trends it's all about you know sharing and renting um, young people don't tend to uh, value owning and ownership as much uh, you could see that or on car sharing and bike sharing and, or, you know in, in a lot of things sharing economy is a growing growing thing and so for them um what probably would seem very odd to share a house with a stranger for 45 year olds for 20 year olds it's a no-brainer and it's very natural and it's almost what they expect to do now if you couple then existing hmos and people wanting to share you look at further trends on technology and you sense there is things coming like space as a service right which is hitting like um commercial property and um retail and it's kind of the same thing. So I think that the um, boundaries between service and an accommodation, they blur. And there are startups in the hotel industry, like Citizen M, which do that very well. There things, you know, people come in and they expect certain, certain things to be with them. And I looked at a few startups who are exploring things like your digital footprint moving with you as you change your house. Um, so a lot of those trends, if you bring them together, I think for me, co-living is the emerging trend, which will still define itself, I think, as we will see in the coming years. But essentially, it's um, an expectation of um, the younger generation, millennial generation, that um, they're happy to share and they're happy to share more than just a room. They expect certain level of service that comes with that. And because they're sharing anyway, they, I think the co-living allows to share more than just, as I said, um, a house. Um, it's about sharing their experience, networking, seeking job opportunities, finding buddies for yoga or running, um, I don't know, exchanging things, carpooling in the morning. And 
I think the co-living accommodates for all that community um, to be happening within the property. So it's the merger of accommodation to live and your daily community. That's so interesting, Olga. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much for talking us through that. And um, co-living is certainly something that Richard and I are very interested in. Um, can you maybe talk us through how you encourage um, a feeling of community in, in co-living properties? I think that'd be really interesting for our listeners to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So we are just putting on the market. It's not on the website yet because we launched actually four weeks ago, uh, but it will be uh, on the website in April. Um, we're launching the whole community space. So at the moment, um, what we look to do is for the properties which we support with our technology and service which join us or subscribe to our technology uh, we can bring sort of a package of community onto the tenants uh, who live in this property um, that includes things like there is digital space for them within an app which each of the tenant get um, a space to for example as i said uh, put an ad or put some um, you know call out, uh, hey guys who wants to go out for a run, you know, on Sunday morning, um, they can talk within the house or they can talk within the area. So there is a lot of um, user generated things which can happen. So tenants themselves can put up stuff and discuss stuff. There is a chat option. From our side, what we're gonna do is we're going to um, help that community to develop further on a few things. A, we want to bring more events. Um, and that could be very different events. So we're looking, I mean, the, the, the concept behind that, we're looking to enhance their life on three levels. It's, you know, it's about personal growth. It's about networking and knowing your local area and it's networking within your house. So it's about people meeting each other, taking them out for drinks. It's working with the local business providers, um, local gyms, local, I don't know, yoga classes, local restaurants. Uh, for them to have events and going simply go out, uh, sponsoring things like movie nights in uh, for the tenants, for those who sign up. Uh, we've trialed a few of those things, which was a lot of fun um, within existing portfolio. We had like Christmas tree competition or, you know, who decorate their house in, um, you know, Halloween and, and things like that. Um, <laughs> and, and finally, there is also an area, we, this is, digitally enhanced, uh, which gives them tips and ideas about the local area. A lot of people move for work and let's say they arrive in a new town, um, they set out in the community and instead of them being totally on their own, not only they get another five, six people living with them who can help, but their digital space within the, our app allows them to see what are the best place to go and eat, what is the closest, I don't know, shoe repair shop, and things like that. So we gather in local information and um, that's immediately available to them once they step through the door. I think, um, yeah, I mean this, uh, I, funny enough, I um, had a conversation with uh, Reza Merchant of the collective earlier this week as well. Mm -hmm. And um, as I mentioned, I've just written an article, you probably know, I, you know, there's a book out there with my name on it, we were around PropTech. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Helen's very much, you know, played a strong influence in that too. So we're both we're both very into the co-living movement as part of the wider prop tech agenda. 
But I think just maybe to come back to you uh, and your story and, and how you got to where you were, you, there's a couple of things you said during the, the sort of opening there. And you, know, you, you actually got to quite a senior position in, in corporate land, as I call it. I did, yeah. And you, you've essentially stepped out. And I think a lot of people uh, will be used to sort of traditional careers and would, would find maybe where you got to and where you probably could have carried on going to, I imagine, um, mm -hmm. senior role in a corporate position with, you know, big brand multinational companies as being the holy grail. So what, what were the triggers? I know you kind of touched on one, which was you didn't feel that close to, you know, people at, at the face value, the cold face, as it were. But what were the triggers that made you want to step out of that sort of corporate, um, I was going to say treadmill, because I don't want, but I don't want to label it that way, but that, that path and step into another path? What were the, what were the things that influenced you there? Good question. Um, my financial advisor tells me that uh, I score on the risk level, I score um, unusually high for a woman. Um, I think I uh, maybe I'm a little bit mad as well um, <laughs> that way. I, I really enjoy new things. And I think I've been lucky and privileged um, to have a husband who supports me in absolutely every crazy new idea I come up with. And so far, I haven't let him down. Um, I've been quite successful at whatever things I've taken on. But it, it's really, for me, it's it's really the freedom of making your own decision and seeing uh, the fruit of your work, uh, running your own business. I enjoy it immensely. It's a nightmare in terms of managing between the family uh, and the work, and especially early stage startup uh, where you cash short and whatnot. But I think I love every minute of that, um, and it really about that. And I think it's also about, um, you know, I have a, two kids, and it's important for me to give them an example that someone who, you know, you, you must pursue your dreams. You must, you know, work hard towards what you want to do and not be afraid of the change. Um, I remember I had a conversation with my daughter when she was I think three or four and I was working in corporate and it because of my job I used to travel a lot like every week every two weeks and I remember I was um, going somewhere again and she was like mommy when why are you always going why are you always away um, you know can you not stay and I said no I can't you know my boss expects me to come over and he said well he's a bad man then and I said, no, he's not, because he's got a boss as well. Um, and it's the way co the company is run. Um, they expect people to work nine to five and they expect them to travel a lot. And yeah, that's the life is. And that's why I am building my own business so I can step away from that and run my own company the way I believe is right to the modern life and to the people who work for it for this business. Yeah, I think um, that's uh, that's probably a question a lot of working mums have been asked <laughs> by their kids there. Um, so work-life balance is such an issue um, for, for working mums in particular. Um, how, how do you manage working on your business and uh, your family life and getting the best uh, out of both? 
poorly, but I, I cope. Um, well, I guess I try. You know, there is this expression that, you know, can you have it all? Um, you can, but it's not going to be all in the perfectionist sense. Um, you know, you don't. I think it's very much about what, what a good enough mother is and what a good enough, um, you know, owner of the business. Unless you kind of push yourself into being a perfectionist and be the mother who is there for absolutely every bake sale, um, then you're going to struggle a lot. But I think sort of good enough motherhood and um, good enough business can cope as long as you have um, a support network. Now, it is more difficult for me, for example, because we as a family, um, we don't have um, sort of extended family in the UK. Um, we don't have children, don't have any grannies to drop them to for me to drop them to. And um, we have to rely on, you know, some childcare um, friends and whatnot. But as I said, I was quite lucky and my um, husband supports that a lot. So, he, you know, whenever I fail he picks up the slack um and I think my kids right now they're quite used to a very hectic lifestyle that now and then I have to you know show them in the car and drive somewhere and for them to hold in the lobby while I have a business meeting I mean they're quite getting older right now so it won't be an issue in a year anymore um but I you know I, I cope uh we have virtual team and 60 percent of that is females as well and most of them are having children and some of them is about to have a baby and we still cope. Um, so we work across uh, sort of around our um, school pickups and school holidays. We um, run our yearly planning um, so that we can accommodate for school holidays and things like that. So I think for me as a female um, founder and company director, it is important to pass on those values and to let my team know that um, we shall support them any way we can um, so that they can have this certain balance between the family. Uh, therefore, within our life, it's very normal that we work, you know, 10 p.m. and, you know, uh, odd hours. But we, for example, may not work at 3 p.m. when you need to pick up your kid from school. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, so it's it's working somehow. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but um, so far, so good. Oh, that really resonates with me, Olga. Um, absolutely. And something else that you said, um, quite a few of our guests have mentioned, which is creating a great team. And I think that holds true as a business owner, but also as, as a working parent, not just a mum. You know, you, you need kind of that support with, with childcare, whether that's from, you know, husband or family members or uh, an external provider. But uh, coming back to your your working life, um, squarely, I guess, you've done so much in your corporate career and now running your own business and um, mm. you know, making headway in, in prop tech. What are your biggest successes? And, and maybe you'd be happy to share with us your biggest failure or mishap along the way. Right. Um, I'll start with failure. I think it's good to finish <laughs> on a positive note rather than... <laughs> other way around um uh, when uh, it, it's actually I mean it's yes a good thing that it happened when I just started so when I just came up with the whole uh we need to build a, build a prop tech platform um I typically got 
extremely like entrenched in the whole idea and I read and studied everything I could about uh, tech development and I went to conferences and I went networking and I spent enormous amount of time learning. I'm a crazy learner, I just always do that. Um, so at some point for me it was relatively clear how do you build a tech startup and um, I started on my own. I went to some friends who to ask them to recommend some development team and they did recommend the development team and I started working with them and um, we got to a certain level and then at some point I met uh, Victoria who is my co-founder right now. Um, she is a very tech person, she's an engineer, an Israeli engineer, a CTO in the previous previously startups. Uh, we met as sort of female entrepreneurs uh, and we decided to do it together. We just clicked and when she came and looked and what I've done so far with my team of developers, she was like, that's never going to fly, Olga. We've we got to ditch it. And I'm like, I can't ditch it. I've just invested like three months and, you know, X amount of money on that. And they're about to finish. And let's try that. We could use it as a prototype and whatnot. And she was like, OK. So we dragged for another two, three months, um, finishing, 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 only to realize that she was right to begin with. And the technology, the initial development team deployed to achieve what I needed could never possibly achieve that. Um, so we had to have an unpleasant conversation and walk out of that deal. Luckily, I love negotiation and um, I used to do it a lot. So I walked out with not a lot of um, sort of losses, uh, but we lost time most of, most importantly. Um, and we started from scratch. So six months into, uh, we started again, um, which was tough. But I think another good thing which came along with that, uh, we actually had a very good conversation after about how could could we have prevented that? And we both realized that, you know, she could have been more forceful and I could have been, you know, more listening um, and that we could have both been more candid and demanding from each other rather than trying to accommodate for each other's ego not to be hurt. Um, and I think that put our relationship on a very different level. And I think the level of kind of straightforwardness we have in our conversation and the ease on which we take on difficult tasks and failures right now is so much better. And it's so I could just see how helpful it is for the business that nothing gets sort of lost um, in the fear of, uh, you know, I shouldn't probably say that we just talk through things um, and it's amazing. Um, it really helps. Um, in terms of the successes, um, I've had quite a few. Um, surprisingly, um, I, I, you know, I, I network and I go out and I talk to people. Um, I'm also a relatively uh, successful blogger um, in my personal life. It's in Russian language, so you can't read it yet. Um, but I have a book coming out uh, as well based on my blog. It's all about a sort of female place in the current life, um, in the modern life, especially if you are not a typical female who you know dreams about having family and then devotes herself fully to that but someone who like really enjoys business and really enjoys tough situations and challenges and you know dealing with stuff and who's systematic and analytical how do you actually live your life um, in the modern world so I blog about that and I think um, that puts me in the position to uh, go out and talk to people and present and I go to different conferences and sometimes I do keynote speeches for um, some sort of female entrepreneur events and things like that. So from that perspective, I don't know where, 
but I would say on the fourth week of uh, our startup being launched, which is, you know, not even a proper life, uh, I've been asked to uh, go on BBC News um, as a commentator and um, do expert commentary, something related to prop tech, which for me was like, wow, uh, I didn't expect that to happen, but um, um, great. And it, it obviously gives us uh, exposure as well and we have our first customer who I, I saw personally last week uh, it's, a, it's a letting management company who you know has a few properties we're probably going to record a video with them um, saying that they love the product and it's a no-brainer and it is actually such a good value for money and they are willing to put more, more properties through us so uh, I think that was a good first month success as well we wish we had more but uh, we will. Yeah, well, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Just even listening to you, and you know, I saw your website. It's no no white walls, isn't it? Your um, your company yeah. there. Yeah, no white walls. But, but by the way, what was the name of the blog? I think I know what it is. Um, I just wanted to confirm it. What, what was it called? It's Woman from Mars. I thought it was Woman from Mars. <laughs> is that happen? Does that happen to be a play on the famous book? <laughs> it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which of course, it, what it's, it's the title of that book is "Men Are from Mars and Women Are from Venus," isn't it? So, well, so. What, what do you do in this life if you find yourself to be a woman from Mars? By the way, you think and behave and act and make decisions. Uh, how do you live your life? You know, how do you not scare people around you? That's what it's all about. <laughs> and how do you still be, you know, a, 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 an excellent loving mother or a successful businessman or whatever. Um, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure you're probably a woman from Mars and Venus, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I thought it was, and I thought that was a curious, uh, curious piece actually, and very, very interesting. I look forward to seeing what that book's about. But um, mm. maybe also, when you were just chatting, and you have been chatting throughout, you've kind of given some clues, I think, to what I'm about to maybe ask next, which is all about values and principles. You talked about your attitude to learning, and you talked about having this sort of next level of conversation with your co-founder which has enabled you mm -hmm. to you know take the business on to a whole new level so would you mind just sharing we're tending to be asking our guests about their, their principles and values what's going to stick with them you know forever and maybe anything that has changed along the way would that be okay yeah absolutely and i think i have too many but i'll try to narrow it down um we, we obviously we put it into our internal sort of company values as well. I have um, a canvas on my wall at home so my children can live next to it as well and maybe absorb it um, somehow. But I think it's very much about A, integrity um, and B, braveness and courage. I think a lot of things to do, especially with a new business, it is very scary but i always find very important is you know candor part of the integrity for me um we're trying to instill it in the company so that we not it's just not between me and victoria but also with the people we work we can just speak up uh, we actually have you know things saying speak up <laughs> um so that anyone can challenge anyone um and just ask why are we doing this you know are you sure because we all tend to go into our little boxes very, very easily. That's how our brain works. Uh, and we must hold each other accountable and be each other that friend and the colleague who will, you know, wake yourself up or give you a little nudge uh, about you may be 
delusioning yourself um, or something like that. Um, and the last one I would say it's about um, learning loop and being systematic in that. Um, I really so I add her by the lean startup concept yeah. and that's how we go. We put on um, you know an assumption, we test it, we sit back, we reflect on the result. We run in those cycles ourselves to see okay how did we do that, what did we learn and I think establishing that learning loop, um, there's a great book called The Black Box thinking about that, oh, yeah. um, that the businesses and environments who actually have that as a learning loop, they tend to be three times more successful as a result. So for me, it is very important that we just, it, it's not about, oh my God, we failed. Oh my God, that didn't work. It's like, stop. What did we learn from that? What do we need to change now and go try again? And it's just that resilience that we go try again. And um I talk to a lot of people and they, even my close friends, they always ask me like, what if it fails? And I said, it won't because I'm learning every month. If this doesn't work, I'll change. And there is so many ways you could pivot and change. And, you know, I don't know if that concept doesn't work. You you change something here, you split it, you, you merge it with something else. There is no way to fail if you keep learning and you don't just, you know, become stubborn and sticking to your thing you learn you change you you look for better and you will always be successful perfect uh, I did wonder whether we we might have lost a little bit of that on the recording Olga so um, I, I might just sort of have to state some of it I think um, some of it might have been a bit broken up but you know I think there's so many uh, values that you mentioned there I'm particularly in intrigued the fact that you've got it on your wall at home um, and I think <laughs> I think, um, have you read, by the way, have you read uh, Ray Dalio's Principles book? I don't think so, but now I will, yeah. Well, to be honest, the reason I asked is that you're saying so many things that actually he's talking about. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> maybe you'll, you'll see some familiarity there. Um, in the book, he talks about being very honest. Um, I can't remember the actual phrase, believe it or not, right at this moment, but he talks about being a, a, a very honest with people in his organization as a way of growing. It talks about quite a few other principles. And for me, principles and values in his language, and our language, are kind of interchangeable. Uh, but it's having sort of rules that we, we live and work uh, by. So I think he talks about a few. And, and one of them about, you know, so there's the feedback loop and there's the learning loop, as you say. Mm -hmm. But I think equally he talks about bravery and courage. And um, maybe just want to dwell on that a little bit, because I speak to quite a lot of people, not just women, but, you know, any people at the beginning, particularly of a, of a journey to step out, uh, maybe from corporate or uh, into into maybe working full time in property, for example. What would you say? Um, how would you define this courage or this bravery that you need to make that step? Well, I think it's about embracing the um unknown and understand i would say embracing the stress which comes from the unknown i don't want to use expression step, step out of your comfort zone because it's so overused but i think it's you know when especially when you've been in something like corporate for like 20 years you build gravitas and you almost like reside on that comfort that you know your business and your industry throughout you're well established everyone knows you um you, you're very sure of yourself you're very confident about your future and you know it's just quite easy and the moment you step out into something new you become that newbie who goes around and asks stupid questions and you know he always makes mistakes and 
he you could see how how high is that mountain you have to climb and like why in the hell did I put myself down you know to the very bottom to start from scratch once again but the whole point is in the climb I mean that's amazing and every time you know I find myself um kind of in, in lost spirit I, I tell myself look back you know five years ago you sat down and I remember I set myself every five years I set myself goals and five years ago I was in corporate and I was dreaming and I was painting that picture about how my life is going to be different. Oh my God, I'm going to have my own business and I'm going to be working from home a lot and I'm going to be free. And I just, you know, visualized all of that. And I, all of that seems so far. And I remember registering my first company, which felt like a big, big thing and reading my first book about how do you open a company? Uh, you know, you run a business operations, but you never actually set up accounting for your own company uh, with your own hands. And, you know, I sat down for, for a month and I studied accounting so that I can get a good group about uh, not just about reading PL, but about actually, you know, running ledgers and things like that. And then you look five years back, you've got two companies, one successful, second one in the startup phase, also, deliver, you know, you, you've gone so far. And every time you look back, I think that gives you that courage that you will go through the next, um, pa the pain of, of, of being a newbie and doing something unknown, um, that you will survive. You, you just know because you've done that before. But the step you take to actually, you know, jump off um, is still there. And it's still very scary. And I don't think it ever goes away. Um, I just think you, you learn to support yourself. Yeah, I think we've we've heard that um, that before uh, from some of our, our other guests about learning to live with that uncertainty, and that that's what you you sign up for when you have your own business. But the flip side is the freedom um, to be in control of your own destiny and, and your own life and your work life balance. Uh, but moving on now, so obviously, Olga, you operate in prop tech, which is a very forward thinking field. Be great to hear your thoughts about the state of the UK property market at the moment. Any insights into future and uh, into the future direction and, and any trends that you see coming along. So tell us about that. Well, I wish uh, we had a little bit more certainty on our political side. <laughs> uh, I think that that may decide a lot. But at the same time, I think that the whole situation has been going on for so such a long time that people already have fatigue uh, of worrying. And, and I think they just got, get on, got on with their lives regardless of what is happening. Um, at least I think the trends we see in terms of the house prices and uh, they reflect that even though we're going through potentially a life-changing event for the whole country, uh, it's not really changing <laughs> how house market behaves. Um, overall, I think the trends show that the investment in prop tech um, is increasing and it's growing double fold. It's one of the, I think, one of the most attractive sectors right now. From what I can see, there are they're probably going to be further consolidation uh, we've already as you know had quite a few um, 
challenges with, with the bigger companies in the past few months uh, in the prop tech side, but it's it won't stop growing. I think there will be consolidation. I see daily uh, little bits and pieces of different services coming as a separate companies, uh, and I could see them being bought or you know joined together um, into sort of bigger software or technology companies offering wider array of service. Um, I think that that's going to be one of the trends. I, I, overall, I think the property industry, which is notoriously relatively conservative, I think it's slowly embracing the tech side. But to be honest, I think there is still big, big way to go. Um, and another point I wanted to make is um, I tend to go to um, quite a few just tech events um, to be aware of what's happening in latest trends. And for example, there's a amazing event called Web Summit, which happens in Lisbon every year. And I go for five last five years every year and they've got about 70,000 people coming. It's the biggest tech event. Um, all the, you know, Silicon Valley startups. It's, it's just it's great. And you you have huge health tech, huge um, fintech, and mm. what not there, and prop tech is not there. Mm. And it always amazes me how come and what is the reason why prop tech still sits, tends to sit almost like as a separate thing between the separate big property industry and a separate you know huge uh, overall tech industry. Uh, Perhaps it's the nature that you still have to be sort of quite tied into brick and mortar in a certain way, which may uh, put away some of the investors who are used to seeing pure tech companies. That could be um, the reason. But I just wish to see um, that those boundaries merging on both sides. And I think the growth of investment in prop tech um, that shows that is happening, whether or not it's fast enough, I think we will see. But maybe we're starting to think about drawing some closes and, and there's maybe just a couple of points to pick up. But one in particular I'd maybe like to get from you. Have you got any general tips, hacks or tools or even book resources that perhaps you could signpost people towards that maybe helped you and other people could benefit from? Would that be OK? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's a, such a vast area. Um, I read a lot. Um, I think property tribes um, is my go-to for one, you know, a specific question. I think it's a very helpful community. I definitely read Unisu and uh, James Dearsley's uh, Prop Tech Review every Sunday um, on the Prop Tech side. Uh, I think it's a great, again, collection and really well curated um, information. Infobode is another area um, which is a great source uh, of updates for me um, and books obviously um, hard to name. Um, at the moment I'm in sort of polishing up my, my sales skills so I'm all reading about um, building up um, an outbound marketing sales team and whatnot. <laughs> um, I wouldn't name specifics but lots of sales at the moment. And perhaps uh, now would be a really good point to ask you as well, uh, Olga. For people, and perhaps women in particular, who are either starting out or in the early stages of their um, property investment journey, um, well, you know, what what um, what advice would you give them? What tips, top tips, do you have for those people? Well, um, 
property investment or business investment could be slightly different things uh, and depends on you know where you do go I think property investment in general um, is a little safer and less demanding area um, comparing to you know starting a you know your own separate business uh, as such uh, but I would say one good thing I find um, is that the support between women within business is actually quite amazing and I think that is one of the good outcome of all the feminist revolution that has happened over the past century is that um, indeed women used to find it very very hard to succeed within the male's world um, it is changing very rapidly which is a great thing but I think that sisterhood is still there and I haven't heard about organizations of you know male entrepreneurs males helping each other just because they are uh, but it does exist um, you know a member of women in property tech um, organization and I could see there are so many circles of other women in that area who will help just because they are women as well and they know how hard it is and how much more things you have to juggle to achieve to the same uh, to achieve the same result that's one thing another thing I think it's a general um, is having mentors and not being afraid to reach out to people and networking um, I blogged that put a big blog up the other day about how do you learn networking when you're an introvert and you really don't know what to talk about to those people and I literally put the steps this is the five things you do um, uh, not to look stupid but I think networking is one of the oh, undervalued things by a lot of people they feel um they may feel shy uh, about asking things and i would encourage anyone um, not to um because i think most people come back and willing to help and open to help and even if they're not what's the harm uh, there's no harm done so network and look for mentors look for support uh this is how i came about most of my opportunities they all come from you know reaching out to people uh not being afraid of doing that yeah, some really good pointers there. I think um, I, I chat it. I often refer to my own wife, uh, so listeners will be familiar. But um, she's essentially an introvert, um, and you know, she the, the idea of you know large groups and networks and things like that is kind of scary to her in that sense. But um, she's working on that. Um, but I think one of the things that I usually say is, you know, more more think just the, I think a lot of people get self conscious, self aware. And one of the tips I, I perhaps suggest with, with my own wife in that situation is to focus on the other person. And I think if you take the focus away from yourself and look at the other person, it's quite amazing because you just do start to relax. You should, you have you're curious in them and what they're looking to to do, and you're less self conscious and self aware. But I don't know if you resonate with that. I don't know if it's one of your five tips. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely. but um, that's brilliant. I think. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation and we've wandered around and like most of these conversations, we could probably go on um, for, for a lot longer yet, but we probably do need to keep an eye on the timings. And um, I don't know if there's any sort of final thoughts that you have, Olga, but one of the things that perhaps we'd like to get from you is how could people reach you and, um, and you know, your contacts, et cetera, that you're prepared to share on air. And indeed, Absolutely. if they, yeah, sorry, and if indeed they do reach out to you, what might, what should they say when they do? Well, um, a, there are all my contact details, uh, or our contact details at um, www.knowwhitewalls.co.uk. Um, I'm also quite 
you know, available on LinkedIn, um, and I tend to accept requests and um, speak to people quite often. Um, so that's probably the best ways to reach me. And obviously, you know, um, we are always open to our potential customers, but, you know, it's not a place for me to say um, here, but we help, I think the whole idea we, we're trying to develop in Know What Walls, and you've mentioned the collective, um, and it's great that the players like the collective exist because they set the mark of what it can be when you've got 500 room, you know, um, apartment block. Um, what about those, you know, smaller landlords who've got a portfolio of one or two properties, five, six bedrooms each? Uh, how can they step into the future? And I think this is what we are trying to do. We're trying to sort of create the same experience through technology and through our work uh, and service. And they just deploy that to those, um, you know, small um, house shares and HMOs of a good enough quality. And in my dream, um, one day in the UK, there will be um, sort of Hilton of house shares, a chain called No White Walls, where tenants would know it's the best place to go. And there will be multiple landlords who would be part of that. And they will be united by the same great service. So if um, obviously landlords and um, letting agents who handle HMOs, very welcome to come. And we definitely talk and we'll see a way how we can help you and, you know, give you a free trial or just talk you through and genuinely help on things. And we also welcome new investors who are just stepping into HMOs and who just finding their feet. Um, they can just reach out to me and I'll happily be a sounding board and talk them through things, um, how to get them, you know, tenanted at a later stage, how to get on with things. Um, and also um, any female entrepreneur out there, I'm also here and um, I'm always willing to help and give us give a bit of advice. So uh, don't be shy. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And I think what did I just wrote that right down? That's why I was a little bit slow coming back on because I was just reading it back. Hilton of house shares. <laughs> I love it. I love that, actually. You're quite right. You're so right. I was talking to, to Reza, and he's raised over $700 million, he was telling me. Um, and, you know, he's operating in principally London, Berlin, and New York, I believe. And it's a massive, you know, investment. And if he's going to go in the direction of we, we live or we work, for example, it's going to take yeah. a lot more money. So you're right, aren't you? Because um, most of us listening to this are not in that sort of territory. Uh, maybe not yet, <laughs> but um, I think it's we're, we're smaller operators. Most landlords have got less than four properties. They're not what you consider portfolio landlords. So I think, it, I think it's great, really, that you can provide similar sorts of technology and experience uh, and then network people together. Um, and I think I've just made complete sense of your logo now as well. So uh, mm. <laughs> as I'm talking about. So <laughs> thanks for that. That's brilliant. And I really I wish you all the best with it. In fact, I may even be talking to you myself. You. Who knows? But um, thanks for the shares and thanks for coming on the show today. It's been brilliant to hear from you, Olga. And we wish you all the best. And I'll perhaps just leave any final thoughts to, to the two ladies on the call. Just wanted to say thanks so much, uh, Olga. It's been a really interesting conversation. And as another woman who's very interested in prop tech and what it can bring for um, the UK property industry, it's been particularly interesting to chat. So thanks very much. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, likewise, Helen and Richard, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I applaud what you do. I think it's so important that 
this type, not not because it's me, but because this type of information and uh, you know podcasts they go out to people and they promote the area. I think it's so important that you touch on more than just uh, property type of touch, and it's a wider area and it's about a human life and how it fits into that business. I just think it's a great thing you do, and I'm uh, very privileged to be here. Well, that's really kind of you. Thanks for saying that, Olga. We we do try. <laughs> so um, we're trying we're trying to sort of break some ground and maybe break some stereotypes as well so um, thanks so much again it's been great talking to you and um, I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot of value from what you shared with us today appreciate it so bye for now thank you Well, I have to admit, I found the conversation with uh, Olga to be fascinating. Uh, just some of the points that you know I've noted. She she again came from a corporate background. She spent twenty years in a business development role with a very international focus. I think she said, looking after around about sixty seven countries at one point. So um, she gave it all up. <laughs> uh, basically, she missed dealing with people uh, closer to the business, closer to the coalface. So she started to look for something different. That's what led her into property initially. And she looked at HMOs with a twist, as she called it, more of a lifestyle um, you know, operation before the collective existed, if you're familiar with the collective. Um, and so she developed something of a co-living model before the term uh, was trending. And this then allowed her to quit her corporate job. So she built up an income stream and that allowed her to quit. But she was looking for other opportunities. She's a very entrepreneur, as she said. And uh, she wanted to offer a better service to people, but equally there was a gap in the market for a service and a platform, or to offer service rather, and for a platform, uh, which led to the formation of her company, um, No White Walls, which you, I suggest you have a look at. And some of the triggers to stepping out of the safety of a corporate career were that she describes herself as a high risk taker for a woman. In fact, her IFA described her as a high risk taker for a woman. Um, she also said she's a little crazy, <laughs> uh, but also had a supportive husband. And I think that the idea or the, this idea of a support network, you know, resonates with quite a lot of the people we've spoken to, as I'm sure you're picking up. But she said the biggest driver was for her to decide for herself um, and make her own decisions about her future. Um, she did confess it's a bit of a nightmare working and managing uh, both work and family life, especially in a startup environment. But she wanted to be an example for her children and she, she, you know, to show them that we must pursue our dreams. Again, this idea of role modelling is a consistent theme, isn't it? But she also said that it very much depends on having a support network around us. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of the women in particular on this uh, series have talked about that, as you probably detected. She, she talked about one of her biggest uh, failures as being getting really entrenched in an idea and not being prepared to let it go. Uh, I guess you call it the sunk cost fallacy. Um, that's that's uh, something she uh, confessed up to, confessed to. But equally, coming out of this, it enabled her to strengthen her relationship with her co-founder because they were very open and transparent with one another, and they were prepared to take the risk of upsetting their egos in favour of progress uh, progress for the business. And I think this has been a big takeaway as we hear when she talks about her principles. One of the biggest successes, or rather two of them, are networking and blogging. 
And she talks about how this has led on to opportunities such as being invited onto BBC News as a commentator on prop tech, which has given great exposure and indeed led on to business. The values and principles thing we've been talking about quite a lot with most of our guests and um, we've got the integrity and the braveness or courage. Um, we've heard that quite a few times as well, haven't we? But I also like what she said about candor, you know, speaking up and challenging, holding each other accountable. Well, that was a really important takeaway and it goes back to what she said about uh, learning from the failure that she had. And talking of learning, she had this learning loop idea, uh, being systematic to how she goes about things uh, in a similar way to the lean startup concept. So start a minimum viable product, put it into the marketplace, get some feedback, make changes and, uh, and make it work. I also love the idea that she's got all of her values and principles on the wall at home. I've heard about having a vision board, but having your values and principles on the wall at home also makes a lot of sense to me. And in, indeed, asking her about how to make the, you know, how to sort of step out and, and how to find courage. She says that um, embracing the stress, uh, embrace the stress that comes from the unknown. You, if you step out into something new, don't be afraid to ask stupid questions or make mistakes. The whole point is in the climb or what I might say is the journey. I think she was trying to avoid using that phrase. But it's the point is the climb. So, we, you know, she said we should look back and reflect how far we've come. And it will surprise us um, how far we have come, which will give us courage to step out even further forward in the future. thought that was a really big point. Talked a bit about the political uncertainty, uh, which is again a recurring theme throughout this series. And it seems to be a never ending saga. But she's saying the EU changes are not in themselves going to change the property market. That was an interesting point. But prop, prop tech is growing very fast and there will be further consolidation and there'll be greater convergence of technology. So if you're not really tuned into this whole idea of prop tech, I suggest you do. By the way, there's a good book out there from a certain um, podcast host that you might want to look into there. <laughs> but there we go. Um, she gave a few tips towards the end. Um, she described a property investment and, property, uh, and a business investment as being different things. And perhaps the former, i.e. property investment, might be a little bit safer, perhaps, meaning that there's a tangible value in bricks and mortar. I think that's what she's getting at. Um, but she said, you know, network with other women. Obviously, this is a women's focused uh, answer here. Uh, have mentors and don't be afraid to reach out to people uh, by networking. And uh, Olga, if you remember, mentioned a five step model to help you um, step out with networking. So perhaps you should look her up and ask her about that. I think it'd be a good way to make contact, perhaps. And she did also go on to say most of her opportunities have come about by reaching out to people. So you'll find her LinkedIn profile and the website, uh, nowhitewalls.co.uk. It's all in the show notes. So there we go. But I think um, probably just to part with uh, the summary of today, it's uh, the Hilton of house shares. I really like that. So perhaps you could talk about the Hilton of house shares to Olga when you reach out to her. But there we go. Um, there were the main things uh, I wanted to summarise from the conversation. Um, I'll draw a line there. I just, just want to say that's all we've got time for this week. But if you want to talk about anything from today's show or just talk about property investing more generally, you can email me or Helen at podcast at thepropertyvoice.net and we would be very happy to hear from you. Meanwhile, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net, as they usually are. And I guess all that's left to say right now is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao.
thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list.